want to um, begin straight, you know, and, and just right into it because I got a lot to say. I got a lot to say. And, um, but again, I'm grateful for Pastor allowing me to, you know, and humble that I can preach today and share the word. I've been actually been feeling um, uh, uh, a word that God has given me, which um, we'll, I'll reveal to it in a minute. Um, but he's been stirring me and to speak to the to the church, to the body of Christ um, in regards to uh, what's been happening, you know, in our country. So I want to begin with John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, and then we'll pray. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I believe this verse is a timely verse. Even though uh, these words were spoken by Jesus to the Samaritan woman, Jesus' word will never return void, and it, tra it transcends time. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word that you have given me. Father, I just pray that your people have the ears to hear, the hearts to be open to receive and receive your word to permeate in their hearts, to open their minds so they could understand your word in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So as you know, today I have the great opportunity then to speak to you about the topic of worship worship. However, you know, I will not be able to unpack this, the whole subject in 30 <laughs> minutes or so, um, because it is vast, you know, it's deep. But my hope is that you have a better understanding of what it means to worship, what it means to minister unto the Lord, what it means to enthrone him and what happens when we begin to enter into his throne room. So I want you to take a moment um, online and those that are here to visualize this picture, okay? Imagine, just imagine being in God's throne room, in his presence. You see the elders and creation in the heavens casting their crowns and bowing down. As you look up toward the throne, you see Jesus in all his splendor. You see it? His appearance was sparkling jasper, and his, and his translucent light emitted a ruby's blood-red color, which, by the way, were gemstones that only the high priest in the Old Testament would have been able to wear. These gemstones symbolize God's glory in all his splendor, in all his brightness and beauty. And surrounding his throne was a circle of green light like an emerald rainbow. The rainbow around the throne would be clear, a clear symbol that everything God does coming from his throne of majesty is surrounded with grace and mercy. From the throne comes flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass like crystal. Then you begin to hear a song of heaven 
burst out from each creation who is beholding the beauty of the one on that throne. Captivated by his appearance, they boldly with admiration sing an anthem of praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And as you are riveted by his beauty and his overwhelming goodness, you can't help but to join all who worship around his throne. Now, this is quite a picture of his throne room. This was John's vision of the throne room of God in Revelations chapter 4 and even 5. The best part is we can come boldly into the throne room of grace. Throne room worship is joining the heavenly chorus in praise, in worship and adoration before our king. Since we, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, we are already present in the throne room. God created, God created you and me with emotions and he designed us with many ways to express them. Our bodies were made to move, and we have musical instruments built within us. Now, whether or not you have musical talents, you still were created to worship and praise God. You are externally then expressing an internal reality when you worship. Now, I'm going to tell you what worship is not, so I could get it out the way. Worship is not just about songs. It's not about the songs we saw on the screen. It's not an event to entertain one another in. And it's not a genre of songs. It's not confined to the aspect of music. It transcends that. It's about the heart posture. And in this season, God, God is teaching the church that worship it's more than 45 minutes of singing to prepare room for a preacher. So today, I'm going to use uh, the word worship and the word praise in a little bit of a general term because it has a lot of meanings in the Hebrew language in the Bible. So I want to begin in the book of Job, but I'm going to kind of take you to a field trip in the Bible. I'm going to give you several stories. But we'll begin in the book of Job. And Job was the center figure of this story. Now, he was a wealthy family man. He had a great amount of livestock. He had servants, many children. But Job faced the most heartbreaking news of his life. The Bible says that he lost all of his livestock. He lost servants. And he lost what I believe was one of, one of his most precious treasure. And that was all of his ten children in one day. But something incredible happened during his pain. Something happened in his anguish, in his tragic moment. He fell on that ground and said this on, in verse 21 of chapter 1. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May, may the name of the Lord be praised. It doesn't make sense to go for just any one of us after such a heartbreak to go and praise God after experience this kind of calamity. 
his world just got destroyed. It would baffle any one of us to go and just worship. But this is what Job did. For Job to praise God, he must have understood something about worship. This man had such a reverence towards God that it governed all he did. His reverence was based on the value of God, not what God would give him. And so then how can we then define worship? Now, worship is a profound act of honoring God by giving him everything he gave us as an offering of love and adoration. In other words, we release the control over our lives to the one who is in control. We give all of our energy, all of our minds, all of our emotions, all of our experiences, our whole being as devotion. It's not a switch. We can turn on on a given day and turn it off on the next. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and wor proper worship. Now, what does this mean? This means then that you are going to face some resistance when you enter into the gates of thanksgiving and into the courts with praises. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say in verse 2. Then do not, confirm, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now. We have three things against us. We have the world. We are not, and we are not to follow the patterns, right? The pattern of this world. Do not conform to it. Then we have Satan, who uses everything, including the kitchen sink, to distract us uh, to fall into the patterns of the world. And then we have the flesh against us. That's the third one. The part that doesn't want to do nothing with the spirit and easily falls into the distractions the enemy usually uses so then we can come into agreement with the patterns of the blind world. There you have it. And so the spirit, God, is the one then who teaches you and guides you to the truth. The Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. So worship is coming into then agreement with God. We were then created to live in perpetual agreement with him. And that is to live in the spirit. The goal is to come into a relational unity with God. We don't worship out of religious obligation. We worship because he loved us first. And so our mindset is to come into alignment, into an agreement with God's mindset. Our heart posture comes into agreement with God's heart posture. And our perspective comes into alignment with God's perspective. Verse 2 comes into play here, which is the renewing of your mind. Okay, so there is power in your agreement with God.
In Genesis, Adam and Eve were designed to be in perfect agreement with God. Their mindset was God's mindset. Their perspective was God's perspective. When we worship, our reality is transcended by a superior reality. Whatever you agree with, you give authority to in your lives. It becomes then the lens that you view life from. Nothing then changes the atmosphere more quickly or completely than word-based praise. Our worship will alter the very atmosphere we live in. Church worship affects your behavior, my behavior, our behavior. Our worship prepares also the earth for the kingdom of God. Again, your worship is not just about songs. It, it's more than that. When we align with God, we agree with what God says, not only about himself, but we also agree about what he says about us. And we agree with what God says about the earth. Now, you were created to be part of and see this great merger between heaven and earth. In the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, even if we go in verse 1, it says, Hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come. Right there, you are already aligning with God. You're already giving him honor and glory. You're worshiping him right there. And in that alignment, you as you're going to, you're aligning yourself, now you're here saying, okay, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and is in heaven. So there is two principles in worship. Worship creates intimacy with God, and that is why we were created. And worship does that. The second principle is that we, are, we were created to have dominion over the earth, to steward the earth. Now, Psalms 115, verse 16, David says, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth has, um, has given to, the, to mankind. In the same way that God steward and governs the, the heavens, created man to experience and walk out and live out in the same way on the earth to govern and steward the earth. You are the steward of your neighborhood. You are the steward of the city. You are the steward of this region and you are the steward of this nation. Now in Psalms chapter eight, verse five and six, it says you have been made, um, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. To put into context, David is talking about us. We were created to be stewards of the earth and worship is how we walk it out. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as I explain a little bit in, in, in context of, you know, uh, reasons why we should worship too, but really what it boils down to in worship, why do we worship? That is because he's infinitely worthy, infinitely worthy of all the love in our affection. Worship comes from one basic priority and that is his worth. Jesus paid the high price for all of us. And because he is worthy, 
we have the opportunity then to discover God over and over and over again. Just imagine falling in love over and over and over. I'm sorry, that's, that, I believe that's an exhilarating emotion. And so if, and it is a response to him, it's a beautiful exchange of love. If you worship for any other reason, then it's not worship. At least it's not to the one true God. In worship, we come to do. We, we come to give, not just to receive. So our heart posture, our mind, everything about us needs to come to him because he's worthy, not because of what I'm going to get from him. And so you don't want to use God then to reach an intended target. You want to minister to God because he is just worthy. That's it. In heaven, think about this. In heaven, you won't have any confusion. You won't have disappointments in heaven. You won't have discouragements. You won't have anxieties. You won't have any sorrow. You won't have any pain. The only opportunity that you have to give, uh, that you have to give God an offering that costed a sacrifice of praise, it's now. It's here on earth. If we want on earth what heaven has, you have to do on earth what heaven does. And I believe the culture of heaven is to worship. It's worship. So take, so we can take those unanswered parts of life, your experiences, and in that context, you give God praise and you give him a song of joy. Celebrate him. I challenge you, celebrate him as your healer. Celebrate him as your comforter, as your way maker, as the promise keeper. His words never fail. His promises never fail. He keeps them. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, and this is from the Passion Translation, and I love the way they, um, it describes worship. It says, we no longer offer up blood sacrifices. That's the Old Testament, right? But through Jesus, we will, we will offer up to God a steady stream of praise sacrifices. These are the lambs. Our praise sacrifices are the lambs we offer from our lips that celebrate his name. I'm going to read that part because I want that to sink in. We're not singing just to sing. The steady streams of praise sacrifice that are coming out of your mouth, those are the lambs. That's your sacrifice of praise. And the blessing we receive from our worship is the result of our agreement of who God is. So worship is a stance of humility and surrender. In this position, a person can align himself with God's will. Now I'm going to tell you a quick story here, a personal story about, I want to say 11, 12 years ago, um, before we moved here to Westchester. My husband and I, we were um, youth leaders in the church in Cleveland. And it was three um, leaders for the youth. 
um, my husband and I, it was the um, two sons of the pastor of the church, with um, one with their wives, and then the other one um, was getting ready to get married that year. Um, and the year that we were, we were having actually a youth retreat. And the youth was flourishing. It was a beautiful uh, group. And we were all excited to have this um, retreat. And so we brought in an evangelist in. And um, so we get to this camp, and we are, like, giving it all. The, work, the kids were just giving it all to, to the Lord. And we had just a beautiful experience with God on the Friday night, the first night. And then Saturday came, and we were just extra excited because we just we just felt that the Lord was just going to bless the youth, you know, because they were just humbling themselves, and they were just giving it all to the Lord. And as we were preparing in the morning, I come and see Jason, the youngest of the sons, one of the leaders, uh, whom he was going to be married that year. And I just say hi to him and just greet him. We have a really beautiful relationship because we grew up together um, 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 as kids. So he was not only my brother in Christ, he was like my brother. And um, so we get ready. And again, the service was just amazing. God just ministered to all of them. And in towards the end, the minister comes, just approaches to Jason. And um, just gives him this prophetic word, just beautiful prophetic word. Now, this guy, let me tell you, uh, Jason is, was a man of God. He just loved the Lord. He's the kind of guy that if we had any, like, Bible quizzes, JBQs, um, groups, and, and, and just uh, 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 games and stuff with the youth, that's the one you want in the team. Because he knew everything about the word of God. Because uh, you knew you were going to win with him. And so, um, that was, that was that, that was, that was who he was. And so he just loved the Lord. And so he got this prophetic word and, but in the end of that prophetic word, the Lord says, today you will see my glory, you know, and we were all in a circle and we were so just happy for him because it's like his life was beginning. He was going to get married. You know, he was already a youth leader. We knew that in, in this world, he was going to just do a big impact. It was just huge. And so the day goes on, the service ended, the day goes on. You know, we had our lunch, and then I was in one of my bunks with the girls. And one of the youth comes in and um, says, hey, you know what? Uh, Jason is, has fallen at the basketball court. You may want to check it out. So I, I, you know, something prompted me to go and get up, really, um, he was clumsy, so I was. I would definitely say, okay, you know, blow it off other times, but this time it was, it was like urgent. So I went, I got up and, and started walking. We had to go through a field before we got to the basketball court, and I started to kind of notice the kids running toward the basketball court. As I approached the basketball court, I never would have imagined the sight that I seen. My brother was on the floor, and he was not responding. And I had seen the pastor, the father, and the evangelist, the preacher, praying over his body, declaring and, and praying and decreeing while one of the other leaders were doing CPR on him. And so then all of a sudden I see his mother approach me. Now this is a woman of God. This is a warrior whom I admire and still to this day admire. She's a strong woman of God. 
she was broken. She was mom. A mom that did not have any words and what didn't understand what was going on. And so I'm here hugging her. And, and as I was hugging her, we're looking over, you know, what, and could, I couldn't believe my eyes. And as his, the older son came, um, she, he, he, she, he took over and, and, and she tried to explain. And, and I come then see his, his bride coming towards me and his, and his sister-in-law. And as I come to embrace him, I'm still looking at what I, I still couldn't believe what I was seeing. As the ambulance came then, um, they did what they had to do. And as they put him in the ambulance, the pastor comes and tells, you know, us leaders, go to the sanctuary and pray and wait. And so we went and, and prayed. And I called one of the leaders, as, um, as I was, was told to do. Um, my parents, who they were the deacons at the time, and just to pray and to notify the rest of the church. An hour has gone by, and it seemed like an eternity. And as um, when we got a call, one of the other, uh, someone else had a call, it was the most horrific scream I ever heard. And I take the call from the person, and his mother was on the phone, and I literally thought she said, he's living. And when I realized she was saying, no, he passed away, my heart broke. I, too, fell on my knees, but I didn't do what Job did. I did what a, lot, what a human being would logically do and say, why? What happened? Trying to understand the situation, right? And so she gives instructions on what we ought to do. My husband was helping. He actually took the call after that because um, I, I just couldn't, I, I couldn't function at that moment. And um, we, we end up getting all, at the whole church coming to the camp and all the leaders and we were actually told to assemble to worship. Now, I kid you not, this was one of the hardest things I ever done in my life. To assemble and worship. So the worship team came. His brother came. Because he was part of the worship team and I was as well. And we were assembling. And we were just playing. The church was packed. I mean, this whole, whole center was packed. People were just outside of the center. It just, it was, it was packed. And in comes in the pastor. This is the evening time now. And in comes in the pastor. And in comes, you know, the mother, the pastor's wife, never thought they would even come. And I would have understood, and anyone would have understood that they would have come. Retreat was over. Someone died, right? But they came. The mom prostrated herself on the floor while the leaders were praying for her. And the pastor says, begin. It's time to worship. And with broken hearts, with broken hearts, not ignoring what just happened, we began to offer a sacrifice of praise. We started to sing of God's goodness. We started to sing about 
his sovereignty. We started to just give him the glory and the honor. And let me tell you that that experience I will never in my life forget. It was the most sweetest, the most comforting, and the most powerful moments I have ever experienced in my life in worshiping the Lord in that manner. In that manner. Now, that room was filled of his presence because it was a cloud um, all around the whole entire, entire center, the whole entire um, place. And while as the mom was crying, she was worshiping. And the pastor was worshiping. And everyone was worshiping, tears, knowing what was going on. But we were still humbling ourselves to the Lord and recognizing his worth, despite what was going on. And let me tell you, our sacrifice, our praise sacrifices, our, um, is our lamb we offer from our lips. It's easy to offer a thanksgiving offering to God when good things happen. It's a sacrifice when it's, um, when we are facing hard set, you know, seasons and lessons. I was changed from that moment on and I never seen worship the same again. Ever. 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 Whatever you do, whether you are a nurse, a cashier, a teacher, a pilot, or a barista even from Starbucks, you are a worshiper first. That is your role. That is your role. You as a believer are a priest in the priesthood of Jesus. Now Jesus' blood not only cleanses you, but also gives you access to the throne room. And that word access is pretty special, especially for this year. Because we have been used to of access to everything and anything. We go to the restaurants. We go to any places, amusement parks. We go everywhere. Come to church. But that access has been really taken away from us. We can't just go to restaurants anytime we want. We can't, we can't go to the amusement parks. You know, when in the summer especially, we were quarantined. Access was kind of taken away from us. And that, you know, is disconcerting. And here, God is saying, here, I give you full access, full access to the throne room. And the purpose is to participate in the priestly ministry of Jesus. This is a lifestyle, the throne room. The throne room is not this here. It's not the pulpit. Our role is to come uh, prepared with a gift to the king. And it was, um, actually there was a, a meeting that we had in the, for the worship and I was explaining to the worship team, just imagine, just imagine we come in, you know, to give it glory and honor to the Lord, you know, corporately, you know, but just imagine if we literally saw Jesus manifest here, we, to literally see him, would we be just sitting down? Like really, would we really be sitting down? I think not. I think we were all prostrated on that floor, on the floor, because Jesus was right. Jesus, we are seeing Jesus, the King, right? And so we ought to be prepared to give a King a gift. The Bible says in First uh, Peter chapter two, verse nine. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Priests are those who stand before the Lord in the place of intimacy relating to the beauty, beholding the beauty of God and from releasing your song. You have a song within you. You have a song. The minister, to minister to God carries two meanings. The first one means to attend. The, the word is called sharath in Hebrew. And it's to attend, to serve. It carries the meaning of waiting on, a sense of serving someone. But the second one I kind of want to um, focus on more, it is amad. And that meaning is, means to stay awake, to stand, to abide, to continue to stay up. It carries a sense of a watchman abiding in his presence. So when you abide, it means you conform. It also means you accept without objections to be as one. And so you are conforming then to the patterns about what God says who he is. So you have a choice. You either conform or align with what surrounds you or what God says over what surrounds you. Either you align with him or you don't. What you behold, you conform to. Elisha's story, which is found in 2 Kings, in particular chapter 6, it says that he found himself surrounded by an enemy. The king of Syria decided to take Elisha prisoner. Now when Elisha's servant woke uh, up early in the morning to begin his usual routine, he found himself looking out over an army of Syrians. Now, he cried out to Elisha in panic. It's easy for our hearts to sink and our minds to respond in a defeated stance when we see so much division, especially now. We see so much hate. We see so much anger. We see so much pain. We see diseases and we see death. We have enemies in the form of spiritual powers that come. But for Elisha, the choice was clear. And his answer to his servant was simple and full of faith. Do not fear, he says, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So Elisha was fixed on God. He didn't align on what he physically saw. He aligned with God's perspective. And that is how he was able to see in the spirit. Conforming to the patterns of God's kingdom. That's what he did. In the atmosphere of worship, your perspective, you begin to see in God's perspective. And you see clearer in the spirit. You can make them surrender decisions. When you abide, then you can see the good and perfect will of God. So this is a continual effort. The sacrifice to be in constant alignment with God. This is something I'm also learning. I'm learning this every day. Our worship does not begin here. Our worship, our praising the Lord begins at home. At home. And then here, when we corporately meet, it should be an overflow. It's not the, 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 the worship team's job to try to convince you to worship. It is not. In fact, their job is to prepare the atmosphere. That is their job because they're also priests and we're coming together. And so 
This is how Elisha was able to see the vast and heavenly army that surrounded him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul called Satan the prince of the power of the air. That's the atmosphere. (laughs) The enemy tries his best to control the atmosphere surrounding us because he knows that the atmosphere around us will govern our lives. At any given time, we are moving through life in an atmosphere of victory, of defeat, of faith, or unbelief, of confidence, or doubt, of peace, or fear. So it is an atmosphere of worship. Our vision is sharper in the spirit. Revelation comes when your spirit wakes up. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 26 that Jesus asked his disciples, could you not stay awake for just one hour? This is just before he was arrested. The disciples missed the opportunity here. Stay, stay awake. That means abide. That means to be watchful. That really means to minister to Jesus. Here they missed the opportunity to stay up with him and remain at his side. Imagine if they did that. Imagine then what would they have been seeing in the spirit? What would have been, then, that would act, actually the presence of God prepares us, empowers us. Imagine what they could then have done if they were to stay awake, be vigilant, minister to God. In his presence, there is empowerment. There's faith rises. You begin to see that you can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. In his presence. This is just worship. And prayer goes right with it. Just imagine. Be intentional to connect your heart with God. When you begin to worship, you enthrone God. And that place becomes your throne room. That's the place that becomes your throne room. Psalms 22 verse 3 says, "You, Yet you are holy and throne in the praises of Israel. So turn your living room into a throne room then. Turn your kitchen into the throne room. Turn your car into the throne room. Wherever you're at. You don't have to wait for the worship to convince you of that. The worship, to worship him, you, your reality changes when you enthrone him over that. Okay, so I want to get to, the, to this one part. What happens when we worship? I think this is very vital and important for us all to understand. Because something happens in the spiritual realm. This is not just songs again. When we begin to engage in high praises of God, God turns our worship into a weapon. In fact, throughout the word, the the actions and meanings of praise has specific meanings like purpose and intentions. Praise has many interpretations like I um, wanted and I want to share this with you. Um, But the one purpose is ministry to the Lord. And in addition, the Bible speaks of nine expressions of worship. Three of them has to do with our mouths. Three of them. That's speak your praise. So you have no excuse if you can't sing. <laughs> you, can, you can speak your praise. You can sing your praises. It doesn't matter if you can carry your tune. That is beautiful to the ears of the Lord. Right? And then you can shout your praises. And then the, three, the uh, next three is with your hands. You lift up your hands. You clap your hands. 
You play your instruments. Now, if you can't play an instrument, look, let me tell you. You can grab a nice coconut and a stick and you'll start just playing. There is, that's your instrument right there. That's it. You can't, you have no excuse. And then um, the third is your posture. Goodness, your stand in his presence. You prostrate in his presence. You dance in his presence. The Bible speaks of all this. What this tells us is that worship is not just one act. It is the culmination of acts throughout our daily life that shows God we love him and praise him for the good and the bad things. So high praises have to do with joy, have to do with rejoicing and dancing. And high praises is one of the primary ways that we engage in spiritual warfare. Praises immediately establishes the lordship of Jesus in the face of our enemy. And I'm going to repeat that again. Praises, your praises, immediately establishes the lordship of Jesus in the face of our enemy. And it also confuses and binds the enemy. Your worship. The moment you speak, the moment you sing, the moment you shout out. Think about that. The moment you move, express your internal reality of who Jesus is. It crushes the work of the enemy. Work like fear, like depression, like anxiety. Fear and worship cannot coexist. And depression and worship cannot coexist. Psalms chapter 149, verse 6 and 9 is the key verse about praise and worship being a weapon. I'm going to read it. It says here, and I'm gonna, actually going to read verse 5. It says, his uh, godly lovers triumph in the glory of God, and their joyful praises will arise even while others uh, sleep. God's high and holy praises fill their mouths. For their shouted praises are their weapons of war. That's verse 6 right there. These, verse 7. These warring weapons will bring vengeance on every opposing force and every resistant power. Verse 8. To bind kings with chains and rulers with iron shackles. Verse 9. Praise-filled warriors will enforce will enforce the judgment doom decreed against their enemies. This is the glorious honor he gives to all his godly lovers. Your praise causes the sentence of judgment to be executed against the enemy. Whatever is attacking you, whatever is coming against you, whatever is attempting to prevent you, to block you, to fight you from entering into the gates of thanksgiving... It is through the one-two punch of the word of God combined with the high praises that God takes those chains that the enemy tried to bind you with and he binds the enemy with them. With your praise, God ambushes the enemy. No wonder, no, it is no wonder the enemy despises praise. It is no wonder he's trying to shut the church up and not praise. Oh, you can open your church, but you can't worship. 
That has happened. You cause the sentence, judgment on him. You are executing it. Praise should flow like a mighty river through our lives. Let worship be your primary response. Let's look at Jehoshaphat's story. He's found in 2 Chronicles. In um, chapter 20, the Bible speaks about Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. He was facing a battle. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Ammonites, all these ites, rose up against Jehoshaphat. And the Bible says he feared the armies that were coming against Judah and him. So the king dropped everything and went straight to prayer and called the whole, the whole nation to fast. This king recognized God's sovereignty. In response to his prayer, the prophet Jehazil tell, tells all the people of Judah that God will protect them. So God gives them a word. So Jehoshaphat's response to this word of promise is to fall on his face. There's an expression right there. To the ground and worshiped. Then something happens. While everyone was bowing down because they got, they got a word, they got a response. They bow down low on their faces before God. A group of people stands up, the Levites. And these are the worshipers. And together, they begin to praise the Lord. After this great time of worship, they had church that night, right? In response to God's word, the people prepared to meet the enemy. They haven't even fought the enemy physically. And they're already celebrating. They wake up early the next morning and head out into the wilderness. Interesting, the wilderness. Then Jehoshaphat appoints his frontline troops, but his frontline troops are not the swordsmen. They were the singers. He sent the worship team out to fight the battle physically. <laughs> that will be insane right now for our nation to do that. But spiritually, that's what we ought to be doing. We need to be doing that now. The hour is, has come. Jehoshaphat sent the choir head. God said that the battle was his to fight. So what better way for Israel to meet the enemy than with songs of victory in the front ranks? What better way for us to unite in worship in this hour? In verse 22, it says, and when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush. He set an ambush against the enemy. The enemy started to attack each other. And just like that, the battle was won. Imagine if we did that. Let's talk about Paul and Silas. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas worshiped and prayed together. But when they worshiped together, not only that their personal chains fell off, the Bible says every single door in the prison was unlocked. This comes to show as well that there's even power in our unified worship. It's a synergy. It is no wonder the enemy does not want us to praise. And it's no wonder the enemy want us not united. If your worship binds the enemy, 
If your worship executes the judgment sentence against your enemy, it confuses them. Just you. Imagine when we come together. <laughs> Imagine if we, when we come together in unity. The whole body comes together. If you want to see prison doors unlocked in your life, if you want to see prison doors unlocked in our region, in this nation, if you want to see personal chains fall off, get together. And we need to exalt Jesus together. Every time we, we respond, every single time the Lord the, uh, responds to the Lord, there is advancement. You have an arsenal of impact in your life. So you have access to the power of God to put in motion his kingdom. And then influence those around you. <laughs> Worship is more than about songs. It's more than about songs. So I'll give you my last story. The woman with the alabaster jar. One of my favorite stories. And I haven't even touched David. And he understood what worship is. Mark chap um, chapter 14. Dave, if you can come up. This woman comes in, in a banquet, and disrupts the flow of it. She broke a routine. She broke a pattern. She broke a habit. And I believe a lot of us need to break routines and patterns in heaven, how church should function, how I worship, we need to worship this way. She searches for Jesus. She finds him and fixes her gaze on Jesus. She walked right up to Jesus, and with a gesture of extreme devotion, she broke the flask of the alabaster jar and poured out the precious oil over his head. Jesus appreciated her actions and saw the sincerity of her heart. The use of this costly perfume, this nard, the spike nard, wasn't random, church. In the Old Testament, it was a symbol of an intimate relationship between two people. It wasn't random. The use of this nard was of oil that was pure. It was, an, it was adulterated. She had no other agenda but just to glorify and honor God, Jesus. That was it. Because of his worth. Because he loved her first. There was no reservations from our part. There was no hiding. There's no shame into entering the presence of God at all. She was truly transparent, but it costed her. That was her sacrifice of praise. The point here is that she chose to recognize Jesus as the lover of her soul. The king of her heart. Her devotion wasn't just for that specific time frame either. Because we speak of what she's done today. But she also was an example for the future worshipers of how to minister to the Lord. She really is. So I will finish with this. When you abide in the presence of Jesus, it will radically change you. His presence is meant to captivate you away from the false love of the world. 
everything this world will ever offer you is a momentary fix and that fix will go away it will never it will never it will never fill the void in your heart because that void is meant for Jesus to um, to abide in worship is externally expressing an internal reality it is an act of honoring God based on his worth just on his worth that's it so I even encourage you tonight today where you at just give him the glory and honor because of his worth and who he is that's it worship is coming into agreement with his mindset his mindset his his heart his heart Oh, in his perspective. And the beauty is that you get to discover him over and over and over again. And so our vision can become sharper in the spirit. Because our word-based praise establishes the lordship of Jesus in the face of our enemy. And it causes the judgment to be executed against the enemy. Church is a weapon. It is a weapon. Use it. Use it. You are an arsenal of impact. When you come into agreement with God, I encourage you today to begin to fix your eyes on Him. Begin to build that lifestyle of worship. Here's the thing. Worship is more effective than worrying. But the hour is coming. And it is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God, you're good. Take this moment and give him honor and give him praise. You're good. You are the great I am. 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 Thank you, Jesus, because you're sovereign, because you're a good father, because you're king, you're everlasting. We praise you. You're holy, you're holy, you're holy. God Almighty, you're the great I am. No one is worthy. No one else is worthy than you, Lord. No one else is worthy. We thank you, Jesus. I wanna I wanna pray, but I wanna make this first prayer. For those who are watching for the first time or have watched us but haven't committed your lives to Jesus. First, I want to tell you Jesus loves you.
so much that he died on the cross for you so you can have eternal life Jesus has always been the way the truth and the life if you never placed your uh, place faith in him today's a good day to do it just repeat this prayer after me it's simple and it's small and once if you do it for the first time or just recommitting your life you know just message us message us connect with us we will love love for you to connect with us so repeat after me Lord Jesus I am a sinner in need of a Savior and I believe you are that Savior today so today I place faith alone in Jesus Christ alone to remove my sins and take up residence in me in the person of the Holy Spirit right now right now in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus amen amen Lord we choose to praise you and worship you today you know how to break through the difficulties in our life we choose not to be overwhelmed with circumstances but instead we choose to behold your beauty and greatness we choose to say blessed be your name you are victorious God we will praise your name and proclaim your salvation day after day we will declare your glory among the nations your marvelous deeds among all peoples we will sing a new song teach us to ascend to your throne room and worship and then descend back into the harvest field here on earth praying and warring for victory in every area of our lives help us help us to have a lifestyle of worship thanking you in every situation father i believe that worshiping you is a key to break through in every area of our lives i believe in the power of worshiping you i know that your truth your truth dwells in a worshiping heart in this moment in this moment offer him the adoration lord we worship you your holy name right now jesus a name like no other name a name that is powerful darkness must flee at the sound of your name you are the lord of all you are sovereign you are redeemer you are a healer you are our safe refuge you are our peace you are our strong tower you are the light who directs us you are the great i am the great i am the great i am thank you thank you for your everlasting love for giving your life on that cross thank you for your mercy and grace thank you because you have loved us because you have loved us because you have loved us first in the name of jesus in the name of jesus in the name of jesus we thank you lord